Hi everyone. So um, this is a re-upload of sorts. I'm changing the file, uh, you know, the podcast, which is something Anchor allows you to do. When you, uh, you know, you could, if you decide you don't like your episode, you can change the episode. And uh, the original episode, I did make a couple of errors in terms of citing. Uh, a couple of the military engagements and um, I mean I, I mentioned the B-52 bombers and when I was thinking of B-29s <laughs> so I also realized that my original podcast was an hour long which isn't surprising because I will ramble on but I thought I should be more concise and cut out some of my anger uh, from what I had uh, you know, toward the stupid ass documentary, historical documentary show on Netflix. So, um, I was watching a documentary and I'm going to try and remember exactly what it's called. I couldn't find it on Netflix. I don't know if it disappeared, if it was removed, or if I'm just not typing in the right searches. I mean, that that happens in Netflix. Even if I have the exact title of something, I'll type it in and Netflix can't find it. And then I find it the next day. No, it's not because it's temporarily removed from Netflix. It's because search functions suck. Anyway, so this it's called something like World War II in HD color. And it's different than World War II in HD and World War II in color. Uh, World War II in color is actually one of the best documentary series that I have ever seen. There are some things that the guy gets wrong. I mean, he's condensing uh, 20 years of information and five years of open war into... uh, you know, what, 12 episodes, right? But an incredible amount of work went into it. Some things are omitted, uh, which is, you know, par for the course. Some things have actually been found to not be true since the documentary first aired. And I believe that the documentary first aired in like 2002, something like that. So I do suggest World War II in color. And, uh, just so you know you have the right one, a British guy narrates it throughout the entire thing. They show colorized versions of black and white uh, you know, film. And I think there are actual, actually a couple of uh, shots of film that were in color uh, to begin with uh, that were restored. And uh, I'll hum the first few bars. You know, kind of like that thing. And it's got kind of a really uh, uh, semi-sour type of uh, feel to it, like the oncoming war. And uh, anyway, it's really good. I highly suggest it. It's not the documentary I'm talking about documentary I'm talking about keeps cutting away to a bunch of historians who may or may not have anything to say about what they're currently talking about. Like this one uh, 
historian of, of uh, Japanese World War II historian, I, I believe he's Japanese American, he starts talking about how uh, the population was so horribly, uh, you know, bombed into the Stone Age that the children would suck on the pus uh, because it tasted sweet. And he, he the insert him saying the shit in the middle of discussing the military actions, right? So if you come across that crap, you know what I'm talking about. This is what a lot of people are bitching about when they think of the term CRT or critical race um, theory. It's not what CRT is supposed to be. This is what happens when people editorialize history to make them sound like they're intelligent by criticizing the victor, right? And the premise of the episode that I was watching claimed that the U.S. had a horrible campaign of racism against the Japanese, which was uncalled for, unlike anything we have ever seen before, was one of the quotes, if I am remembering it correctly. It was something along those lines. I believe that is the quote they used. Um, they talked about how uh, the furor against Japan was massive and, and uh, it was an incredibly racist drive to wipe them off of the face of the planet, etc., etc., and, and race was the decision, uh, was the primary component in the decision used to firebomb Japan because no such firebombing or attack occurred in Germany, right? And it's as correct as it is a bunch of utter bullshit. First of all, we're talking about a race war here. All right. We're talking about a former ally from World War I that stormed out of the League of Nations, effectively ending the League of Nations, and cutting off major diplomatic ties with all of its allied nations. Okay, that was Japan. We're talking about a country that considered Japanese to be genetically superior, intellectually superior, morally superior, to all other races on the planet. A country that uh, drew Americans as Neanderthals, white Americans as Neanderthals, and black Americans as bush babies, and going on about how the uh, unevolved mind primitive mind of the Americans would lead them into a massive civil war when they were attacked. That was Japan's race-baiting, race, racially-driven expert opinion of the behavior of all Americans. And they were somewhat correct in terms of, uh, we actually did have a Zoot Suit Riots, right? What they didn't understand was 
that was a politically driven, racially branded riot uh, based off of a protest against the war. And what Japan, uh, Japanese leaders didn't understand, most of them, some of them actually did, uh, some of them actually said, listen, if we attack America, we're going to wake the sleeping giant. That was the term that was used by the Japanese High Council, or one of the members. Uh, I say High Council, I, whoever the fuck was part of the military council there. And uh, that's exactly what happened. Uh, so you had the race-baiting theory of uh, the races can't get along and there's no peace in the primitive mind. Uh, which is why they attacked Pearl Harbor as a majority rule. And you have the dissenters saying, no, you don't understand America. As much as they hate each other, they will band together and they will wipe us out. And that was the, the smaller dissenting voice, right? That's fact number one. It was a race war. And Japan had been racially oppressing everyone else in the Pacific, uh, you know, Asia seaboard, up and down, uh, and going deep into China. They raped, murdered, and pillaged far worse than the Nazis. Uh, you know, the numbers are vary. It ranges from 18 million to 32 million. Are, are various numbers I've seen. You can't really trust any of them too well because we didn't have independent observers. Uh, some people, because there weren't real forms of census back then in some of the more primitive areas, some villages literally moved. Some villages may never have existed. Some villages were clearly wiped out. Uh, then you also have getting numbers from the Chinese, the communist Chinese who moved in during the reconstruction actually during the during the end of the war in 1945 the Manchurians came in and uh, we actually had to escape because by then we were no longer friends with Russia or we were sort of friends but I mean the writing was on the wall um, the idea that any country who's involved in a race war with a country as horrific as Japan or Germany during that era, if you can be involved in that type of race war without entering the same type of uh, propaganda component is dishonest, uneducated, and every single one of those professors should be should have their uh, doctorate stripped from them. There is no amount of it's okay to criticize uh, the U.S. for doing something that Japan was doing ten times worse. You want to talk about racially driven military actions? That was Pearl Harbor. end of fucking story you can still find posters used in Japan depicting Americans as eating uh, Japanese children and that's the reason why Japan had to go to war 
You know, intelligent Japanese clearly didn't believe that shit. But there were uh, Japanese mothers uh, and, and elderly that were scared into believing that the Americans were really going to devour their children when they came in because human meat tasted sweeter to us than any other meat. Okay? This is the reality of war. And as far as American propaganda goes about Japanese and the racially driven propaganda we had, it was a hell of, it was a it was a hell of a lot tamer than the stuff that came out of Japan. So for them to single out the US is irresponsible, unintelligent, dishonest. They then go on to say that it's because of the racially driven hatred that we chose to attack Japan instead of attacking Germany. Now, I, I didn't quite explain this as well as in the um, in my first attempt as I did now. Uh, Germany surrendered in May of 1945. Japan surrendered in September of 1945. So the idea that we're going to attack Japan instead of Germany after Germany surrenders as being racially motivated, every single one of those professors should have their doctorate stripped. When someone surrenders, you don't continue to rape, pillage, and murder them. At least, well, you don't if you're an allied nation. By then, the Russians had basically taken, you know, severed our, the, the deal with us. The Russians and the French went ahead and raped and pillaged and murdered the Germans who surrendered. So, uh, yeah. We, uh, we went after Japan instead of Germany uh, during those few months because uh, Germany was already surrendering. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't understand the level of stupidity in what these professors exhibit and this really is you know one of the reasons why I wanted to record this is because I really wanted to hit on the whole debate of critical race theory people think that what those professors did in the show is honest critical race theory it's not honest critical race theory it's dishonest but I have seen progressives and I've seen conservatives both confuse what these pr professors have done as if it was critically critical race theory. Pardon me, one second. So you get why I had to re-record this, right? Uh, a lot of people also think that criticizing the U.S. during World War II option, you know, world, uh, criticizing the U.S. options during World War II is being woke, right? That's not what woke means. <laughs> and 
yeah, the U.S. has a lot to be criticized for. The problem is whether or not the criticism, uh, you know, an attempt to criticize is an intellectually fair criticism. One of the tenets of warfare is to demoralize the enemy. In fact, it's like the major tenet. You have 130 soldiers, they're going to keep fighting until their morale is nothing. So the reason why, um, there's, a, there's actually a fantastic story about this uh, warrior dentist, hero dentist. Uh, he died serving his, his uh, country. And uh, it's difficult for me to talk about this guy. Because, as anybody knows, I ball, right? I'm a baller. I, I, I cry. July 7th, uh, 1944. Captain Penn Solomon. <laughs> he was a dentist. Uh, he, he saw Japanese soldiers come in, uh, stab a patient. The first thing he did was pick up a gun and he shot the soldiers and he said, you guys uh, leave. And um, you, do a search on YouTube, Captain Ben Solomon. Uh, today I found out uh, Simon Whistler's uh, show on, on YouTube. He fought for, God, what was it? over uh, 40 minutes and after like the first 20 minutes he was mortally wounded and he continued to fight <laughs> killed over 90 Japanese soldiers at one point the Japanese soldiers stopped trying to kill the people in the hospital and they decided they had to take the dentist down um, and the dentist continued fighting right and uh, it's just uh, it's just an example of the brutality of what was going on and the focus and morale the Japanese soldiers morale were so threatened by one man who was even mortally wounded and they couldn't take him out and he made sure that 30 of his um, uh, of the soldiers and patients managed to escape. And uh, after 15 hours of fighting that Jap wave of Japanese soldiers, they went back, and they found out how, they found how many people that uh, the dentist killed, and the dentist body lying there. Um, that's what you have when you have supreme morale, right? He determined, even when he was mortally wounded, that the lives of those he, were he was trying to save needed to be saved. And there was no conquering that morale. And that's why morale is incredibly important in warfare. So, when I say that the fact that it was a race war everything was about race in that in that war in world war ii japanese believed they were the superior race they attacked the u.s based off of their race hatred 
the, the Nazis were attacking other countries based off of their race hatred. The Russians were attacking Nazis and whatever based off of their race hatred. And you know, before you say we didn't, well, we were attacking Japanese are a minority, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, not, not in Japan, they're not. <laughs> and uh, the issues, you know, we also had an incredible amount of really horrific things that we said about Germans being racially inferior. Anybody who was an enemy was racially inferior because that's part of how the Department of War operated in all these countries back then, period. Even our allies were somewhat subservient to us, right? And uh, one of the... Uh, and one of the things that they obviously bring up is the race hatred toward the Japanese in Executive Order 9066, the internment camp order. What these people never bring up is that the internment camp order was for all enemies of the United States. Germans, Italians, some Spanish, uh, you know, etc. They were also interred. Uh, that order was signed in February, two months after the surprise attack on, you know, in Pearl Harbor. After uh, governors sent an open letter to the president saying if he doesn't do something, they're going to take care of the Japanese problem themselves. So the president split the baby. People within the first generation of Japanese immigrants could be seen as traitors. Same thing with... Uh, you know, Germans and, and whatever, and Italians and all that stuff, right? They were placed in what really was just prisons. The, those were the Issei camps. The second generation, you know, George Takei was in an Issei camp. The second generation was uh, called a Nisei camp. And the Nisei camps actually had schooling. And people in Nisei and Issei could also volunteer to assist the military, uh, you know, to prove their loyalty, stuff like that. Uh, my neighbor, uh, the Okugawa farm, they, they got their farm through the education at the Nisei camp and the business loan that was offered and available to them when they left the camps. So the U.S. actually did try, or at least FDR did try, to make up for the behavior of American society. Now, FDR was the buck stops here, so he assumed all blame. I don't give him all blame. It was the, it was the society of the United States. And even George Takei has said, you know, the problem with the internment camps was that it wasn't one man or one party. It was the society that created it. He's absolutely right. And our society has improved dramatically since then, at least I'd like to think so, uh, because when the camps were created for the illegal immigrants by Trump, a great number of people opposed them, right? And we had lawsuits. Uh, it, it's disgusting that it happened anyway and we need to create some federal laws to prohibit that type of of bullshit what 
they will never tell you though the Japanese were apologized to the Japanese were given business loans and compensation nobody in the German camps or the you know the German Germans who were arrested and placed in those camps the Italians who were arrested and placed in those in those same camps those internment camps none of those received an apology none of them received compensation so the idea that it was solely a race issue is absolutely fucking bullshit uh, we only apologize to the Japanese because oh it, it, this is this is exactly this is basically how the apology reads we're sorry we interred you because we realized that you aren't criminals after all oh but we're not sorry about the Germans or Italians fuck them they were criminals and you can say that the apology is partially racially driven it really is and now is that fair or is it unfair I don't know um, I think that the way the internment camps worked with American citizens putting American citizens in prison is abhorrent uh, but could that did that actually save some lives given how American society was it probably did save some lives of the Japanese who are in prison so it was an abhorrent action that probably saved lives because our society was pretty fucking abhorrent <laughs> I mean so a bad thing happened that did a good thing because our society was a bad thing and that's basically how World War II plays out. A lot of bad things happen. Sometimes some good things happen because of the bad things. That, that wouldn't have need to have happened if people weren't bad people. You know? So to try and single out the U.S. as the sole bad people is unbelievable. Especially when the Japanese conducted some brutal and horrific tests on their prisoners of people that they captured right the Japanese had an entire unit called 731 look it up now so people don't think I'm defending the Nazis here I don't ever want you to think I'm defending Nazis. Stating someone is was worse than the Nazis should actually make you ill toward the fact that someone could actually have been worse than the Nazis. Because believe it or not, the Russians were worse than the Japanese and the Nazis combined. The reason why we were friends with the Russians is quote unquote friends with the Russians is solely because we couldn't enter a war with Russia right after the World War II ended. Russia had a lot more people. There was, we still entered a Cold War. Thank God it wasn't a hot war. The world would have been destroyed. There would be nothing left of the world if we had entered a war with Russia. So we had to let the bigger Satan survive.
to kill the little Satans, the little devils. That's fucking horrible. Stalin murdered anywhere between, what was it? Was it like 45 and 60 million people during his reign of terror? It depends on, on what you count as his responsibility for certain people being dead. Even then, 30 million, even if you go with a lowball estimate of 30 million, that's still more than the Japanese and Nazis combined. A lot of historians hover on 45 million because they can absolutely prove that, but it seems that there were a lot of villages that were removed from maps that pushed the total up even higher. So, just to give you an idea of how terrible, and uh, another idea to, you know, another thing to point out, because people say, the Nazis did this with the death camps and the work camps. Okay, I want you to look up Cannibal Island. Uh, you know, Russian Cannibal Island. Just look that up. That is not an isolated incident. Okay. So, getting back to the main point. Um... We killed more people in Japan with our firebombing than any any other firebombing in in Europe with the Germans and the the Germans didn't die blah 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 blah. Uh, back to that stupid argument. Um, we actually ran a lot of air campaigns in uh, Germany, and I explained this. I like I still like the explanation I gave. Uh, anybody who has played an online game knows that there is something. Uh, called an all-out attack or you know like a roaming there's a, an all-out attack a roaming attack a roaming um, a group or whatever you know hunter group right and then there's the turtling right turtling is where you put all of your defenses into one area it's kind of like a turtle going into a shell uh, now you get it right you hide behind all your defenses a roaming attack is where you send your people all around and they keep running around while your base is lightly defended. Japan is like a really long, thin rectangle in terms of defensible land mass. And with the airplanes, when you fly over Japan, you can fly you know, across Japan pretty easily. You would only have to face a few guns. You know, although the gun emplacements did take out quite a few of our, um, you know, our bombers. You know, the, the B-17s, the B-29s, you know, the, uh, that type of thing. Germany was, like, completely just, uh, what wasn't landlocked? You know, what part of them wasn't landlocked? Uh, it was touching areas of the ocean that they had full control of, right? Uh, I mean, we I, we did not really take full control of the Mediterranean until after Germany's surrender. I mean, they were still doing shit in uh, in Greece up until up until the very end. You know, um, getting our bombers through to mainland Germany, main cities in Germany, we paid a heavy price. Uh, some bombing trips had two-thirds fatalities. We're talking hundreds of bombers in the air at a time, and two-thirds of them being wiped out. 
Japan was a different story because they had lighter defenses than Germany we suffered lighter casualties in Japan so when you have more bombers get through a defensive line they're going to cause more damage than if you have fewer bombers get through it's point number one point number two the British handled the majority of air operations in Germany they they handled almost no operation I don't think I, I seem to recall there being some British air operations in the Pacific because of Australia and everything but I mean compared to what we had we were basically running the show against Japan the idea that it was a racially driven decision that we didn't attack Germany and attack Japan instead is stupid it's like these people didn't realize that the British were the ones who were sending their Lancasters into Germany all right I don't understand the level of stupidity in that comment made by by two of those professors is that's exactly what they were saying and it's not like I'm paraphrasing or saying oh well uh, they meant this no she the one woman said that uh, it was a racially motivated decision to firebomb Japan when they could have firebombed Germany okay we actually did firebomb Germany now people will say yeah but Germany's firebombing there were uh, it was a quarter that of Japan's firebombing of Tokyo right Dresden well there are two main huge differences here besides the idea of the guns besides the defenses besides the fact that the British were handling the air operations in Germany uh, here are the two major comparisons uh, or, or differences when you compare them Japan's cities were kindling German cities were not point one point two Japan had its civilian um, populace actively working in military production so you would have a military factory in the middle of a Japanese civilian neighborhood that didn't really happen in Germany it happened a little bit but Germany in Germany because of its mistrust of possible saboteurs separated its military from its civilians pretty definitively so most of the time when we were bombing the fuck out of Germany we were going after the production facilities the train yards etc because the, the, I mean, there were very few civilian deaths because there weren't any civilians around them okay and then you have obviously Germany surrendering several months before Japan surrendered so we had more campaigns against Japan than Germany more, more successful air campaigns uh, G there were more places for German planes to refuel and populate than in Japan 
right? So when we destroyed Japan's Air Force, I just had a small interruption. So as I was saying, uh, Japanese lost the vast majority of their uh, air support and almost all their top ace pilots uh, during the uh, Great Turkey Shoot. Now that was uh, in the Philippines, over the Philippine Sea, and that combined with uh, the Battle of Lady Gulf, uh, just to make sure I said it correctly, Lady Gulf, not Lady Gulf, um, and also the complete and utter destruction of the super uh, carriers, uh, like the Yamato, uh, and uh, you know, just the the, the uh, complete obliteration of the Japanese Navy in Midway. Uh, we're talking June, July here, right? The Japanese had nothing left, and yet the Americans were producing skilled pilots and top ace pilots, right? Even if they didn't make the confirmed kills to be called top aces, uh, they still had the skills. Why is this true? You know, the U.S. was producing pilots and pi after pilots after pilots who were just incredible. And the Germans and Japanese, they had all of their great pilots at the beginning, but then when they were getting shot down, they were not replacing them. I'll tell you why. Uh, the trainers. Now, I can't remember if they're called the Thomas trainers or not, uh, or Taylor trainers. I, I can't remember what they're, what they're called. Uh, basically, this guy was a genius. Uh, you know, he, he realized that air superiority was a big thing. After World War I, people were using, uh, you know, planes to fly here and there. And he, he thought that, you know, people needed to learn how to fly planes. So he created these, this me mechanical gizmo that looked like something you'd see outside of a supermarket and wound up actually being outside of a supermarket. This gizmo taught people it was a simulator, an aircraft simulator, all with mechanics, levers, pulleys, whatever, to simulate flying and controls and what you needed to do at certain speeds and altitudes, right? Military turned him down. War, uh, so he strips some of the gears, turns it into things that sit outside the supermarket. World War II breaks out, he brings them again to the military. He says, listen, this, this will teach you how to fly. Uh, one of the generals said, okay, let's try it. And they worked, they were so amazing that the company, even though it was bought out by another company, the same premise, theory, and mathematics used to create these trainers is used in modern sim simulators, even Microsoft Flight Simulator, right? The guy created a way to train pilots up to ace level before they needed to sit, before they even sat in a real plane and flew with a flight instructor. Japan and Germany didn't have that, even though they could have taken that idea at any time prior to war breaking out. So there's this really fantastic picture of all of these people in these um, aircraft simulators like big boxes bulky things like 50 of them in a in a an aircraft hangar and one instructor head instructor in a desk at the front of the room 
It's an amazing picture. And that's how we were turning out pilots. Pilots that could outfly, uh, you know, any other rookie pilot in the sky, right? Sure, we had some, they, they had some supervisors walking up and down, making sure things were flowing correctly, but that's how people learned how to pilot. That's how they practiced bombing. And it made, it created a dramatic shift in how people were trained, how they were educated, and how we were able to get soldiers ready quicker, faster, and pilots quicker, faster, up in the skies than anyone else. And there's also a lesson there about uh, the Tuskegee Airmen. I told this in the last, uh, in the original version of this podcast. Um, FDR did something incredibly intelligent in terms of his desire to integrate the military. And you have to remember, FDR was, had been, was actually actively a part of uh, the, the artillery, of one of the artillery divisions in World War I. Even though he didn't need to be, he went out there to learn all the aspects of military. And he believed that the segregation of the military was a terrible thing, right? But he couldn't fight Congress back then. So what he did when a bunch of uh, black uh, men, you know, wanted and showed up and said, listen, we want to help out, we want to sign up. These people attacked America. This is our land too, right? He created the, the Tuskegee Airmen, essentially. You know, and because of the deal he worked out with Congress, any black man that showed up who didn't have a college degree of some kind or was not in college, I mean, you had to be smart. You had to pass a bunch of serious tests in order to become a Tuskegee Airman, which is totally, totally different from the white crewmen, right? FDR did that in order to stack the deck to force Congress's hand to approve integration in the military. And the Tuskegee Airmen were, had the, was it, they had the lowest, I believe they had the lowest casualty rate of any of the other air crew in the war, regardless of the side, right? Um, Maybe the Russian women, but that's a different story. and according to well, one of the men, one of the pilots I saw in uh, an anniversary uh, interview session on the History Channel, um, and repeating what he said, as far as they had escorted their bombers, they did not lose a single bomber to uh, a German plane uh, in World War II. Now, I th- they said, of course, we had to fly back to base and we couldn't protect them once we flew away, but not a single bomber fell while we were flying escort. And a lot of training and a lot of, of work, hard work, went into creating uh, that air crew, that flight group. It paid off. And the thing is, the Japanese and the Germans, the Nazis, did not have that. They did not have the ability to train men like that. So, by the time that the war was ending in Japan, the Germans were gone. They were surrendered. The Japanese had 
you know, I mean, by September even, you know, by in, uh, July, August, you know, by August and into September, uh, the end of July, the Japanese had shit for defense. And so, obviously, they couldn't stop all of our bombers from going in and just raising the cities to the ground. And unlike Germany, we did not intentionally target the civilian areas. The problem is the Japanese used the civilian area, areas to conduct military production. We hit military uh, production centers and the civilians died as a result. The bombing that had, that was a pure civilian bombing, it was total war that we initiated on the Germans. It was the bombing, it was on the Germans. It was the bombing of Dresden. There were no military targets there. There were only civilians and POWs. We didn't do that in Japan. Fewer people died in that bombing than the bombing in Tokyo, but Tokyo was a major military production center. Dresden wasn't. And we happily went in there and murdered all of those civilians. Without cause, without reason. You know, that's what really happened. And the messed up idea that these people have, that we chose Japan over Germany to drop the nuclear bombs? Why the fuck would we drop nuclear bombs on a country that already surrendered? We wouldn't. In addition to that, the idea that we could have gotten the nuclear bombs out before Germany um, surrendered, we could have, theoretically, but it would have also severely fucked up our allied nations who live right by Germany. Okay? We had no allied nations in Japan. Japan was a nation unto itself. So let's pretend Germany hadn't surrendered. It's theoretical that we could have done that. Another reason why we focused our fire on Japan to try and force an early surrender was because of Russia's uh, push to conquer Japan. Uh, Stalin was very open about wanting to uh, have a say in how Japan was handled. That would have given Stalin full control over those shipping rights. Uh, not shipping rights, um, fishing rights. There's a heavy duty amount of fishing rights that are controlled directly from Japan. I, I think it's something like a, a third of the world's a major, or maybe it's a fifth, maybe it's a fifth of the world's major fishing rights are directly controlled by access to Japan. That's way too much to just be handing over to the Russians, especially after they started stealing our B-29s. And uh, the theft of the B-29s resulted uh, af after we ended our bombing missions in Japan. We had to land on the, in the air fields in China. And in one of our last few bombing missions, the Russians came in, escorted the uh, pilots off the tarmacs and said, these are, my, are our ships now as payment for letting you use our airfield. 
And so a lot of really bad things were going on, and we were not going to allow Russia to have it. In addition, one of the main reasons why Russia was so eager to push forward is that the Japanese, unlike the Nazis, the Japanese were actually very close to producing the nuclear bomb. And one of the last, in fact, it was the last shipment that the Nazis sent out to Japan contained uh, uranium, nuclear-grade uranium. And the Nazis said something to the effect of, maybe you can use this now, and since we can't use it anymore, or something like that. Uh, that shipment never reached Japan, uh, to our knowledge. And Japan was conducting weapons, special weapons tests on an island that was just off the coast of North Korea, or, well, was now North Korea. Uh, the Russians raced there. We were trying to get there, too. Only the Pentagon and or Russian officials know if those tests contained nuclear weapons tests. Had Germany been more eager to share its uranium with Japan prior to, you know, like six months earlier, eight months earlier, when Japan had requested that, that product, Japan may have actually had the bomb ready to use against us. The idea that the Nazis had the bomb ready to use against us is a fantasy. It has no basis in reality. They were trying to create a bomb using hard water. In order to create a bomb using hard water, you would essentially need uh, some uh, water, an amount of water equal to Lake Superior to have a really truly effective bomb. You can't have a hard water bomb anywhere else. So. That's another reason why we were kind of freaked about the Japanese, because we already knew that Germany could not have produced the bomb by that point. Uh, I mean, all of our physicists said, well, no, it would, be an it would be incredibly difficult to set off the chain reaction between the hydrogen particles in the water or molecules, you know, with the water molecules and all that stuff, as opposed to using uh, a dry bomb system like just regular uranium or plutonium so we already knew that and so did the Japanese and if you wonder well why didn't the Japanese share their research openly with the Germans because the Japanese had plans to pound the shit out of the Germans after they conquered the world Tojo Hideki Tojo wanted control of the world Hitler wanted control of the world you, you, Caesar doesn't share his empire. There's a big difference in the mentality of a democracy or republic-like state and a dictatorship. Totalitarian control has total in the word. For a reason. Democracies... Even though we, you know, our, uh, the British Prime Minister and, and the President had their issues, work together because we don't need to conquer the whole world. You guys can take care of your own shit, right? It's almost, it's almost kind of like laziness. You know, you can take care of your own shit. We don't want to deal with your crap. We got our own crap over here, but hey, let's be buds. Dictators don't share 
And, uh, I mean, it's, it was very clear. Hideki said things that publicly that he wanted control over the entire world. And Japan wasn't sharing shit. You know, and even with uh, our relationship with Britain, we didn't share that much with them. Um, so, that... Wow, this is almost an hour. Might as well wipe it up. Wipe it up. Wrap it up. Wipe it up. Uh, <laughs> I hope you guys understand why I loathe and am totally, completely disgusted with the bullshit. There's my alarm. Telling me I should get off. So I probably should. Anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> there, just, just the idea. The military... <laughs> the, the strategic advantage... The, the strategic disadvantages, military decisions, the fact that the British were busy with Germany and we were busy with Japan. I mean, we did a lot of air stuff in Germany, but nowhere near the amount of air stuff we had for Japan. We had to put almost, what was it, was it three quarters of our air forces? Between two thirds and three quarters of our air force was, well, I mean, of our Army Corps, Army Air Corps, because it wasn't quite the Air Force yet. Uh, we had was it two-thirds or three-quarters of our Army Air Corps over in the Pacific. And these pieces of crap said, it's because the U.S. is racist. No. It's because Germany surrendered. Germany had a better defensive plan. And even they surrendered first. And uh, uh, Japan was causing real problems and it looked like Russia was going to come in. We could not have Russia anywhere near Japan. In fact, uh, I had some conversational partners who have who told me um, and, and there was a, an interview from a, a thing about the bomb, the anniversary of the bomb in like the late 90s in Japan. And uh, it was this big week professor over there, a couple of them. They said, the dropping the bomb actually saved us in the long run, and there's a saying in Japan, you know, the bomb saved us, and it and it's it's a biting comment because it's not like the Japanese say, you know, are saying thank you for the bomb. It's kind of like the the end of uh, Shin Godzilla, right? Um, Shin Godzilla, you know, he's here to stay. He wiped out millions of people, and he's here to stay. But he has actually given us something that we could use. You know, and at the same time, you know, the way the Japanese view it is at least it wasn't Russia that came in. Right. Uh, the bombs kind of forced them into submission. And of course, there's also the myth that we bombed uh, solely civilian centers, you know, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, those were not solely civilian cities. That was a myth perpetuated in the 90s by a Japanese-American coalition uh, that the, when the Pentagon released all of its papers, they said, no, see, these were all factories, and this is where 
uh, maybe I think it was like Nagasaki was where all of the troops had been deployed for their shore leave. So they were military targets. There were, there were like four or five cities that were potential targets. And Truman said, make sure we hit only military targets. So, uh, you know, just it, it pissed me off so much because the idea of lying about history to editorialize it with something that some people call critical race theory. It's, it's all a bunch of fucking bullshit. We were in a race war. And for the record, Japanese deaths versus German deaths, civilian and military combined. Japan, something like 3.1 million. Okay, Germany, over 7 million. We killed a lot of civilians. And those are deaths not due to Nazi war camp, uh, you know, or, or death camps or work camps. We are not including those deaths. We're talking about the civilians who were killed as a result of collateral damage from warfare. Over twice as many Germans died from us attacking Germany than fucking Japan. So the idea that we massacred way more Japanese than the Germans? Fucking bullshit. The whole statement, the whole premise is fucking bullshit. Well, I had hoped to make this a shorter episode than the original, but apparently uh, when I talk about facts, it is as long no matter what. Uh, so I hope that I have enlightened you guys in, to some degree. And um, don't try to sanitize history. You're going to start running into real fucking problems. You really are. Uh, I may talk about the Zoot Suit Riots at some other point. But, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, so take care. Love you all. Bye.